Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by my fellow party members, Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? May Finch. Hello, hello. And special guest, Patrick Glover. Hi there. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks for joining us this week. Um, I'm going to introduce you and go through some, some fun little questions, but, um, why don't you tell us who you are, where you're from and why you're especially qualified to be on today's episode, (laughs) which is about contagion. Uh, I wouldn't say especially qualified, but, um, (laughs) way, way to just tank the podcast right off the bat. Oh my God. Um, yeah, so I'm Patrick. I'm uh, originally from Jacksonville, like uh, the other uh, two thirds of the hosts. And um, I am a fourth year, I guess now I'm a fourth year medical student at Emory, um, which is uh, kind of uh, snugged right up physically to the CDC. And we sort of have a, a academic incestuous relationship. Um, and uh, I, this was actually... Um, Let's see here. I think this is the first movie. Well, we're talking about Contagion, and I think this was the first movie I saw in high school. Um, and it was like the first one that I went to of my own accord, where I like convinced my parents to go take me to the theater, meet up with some friends. Um, I think up until then, it was all just going with my family to something or renting a movie. So I think this was like my first like big outing with friends in you know 2011. Um, but I digress. Uh, I love this movie, and um, I, it it has to do with uh, an infectious disease, and uh, those those are pretty those are pretty neat uh, to me, at least. Uh, I will say before I jump into some of my other getting to know you questions that uh, before I forget, May on the last episode said that uh, you all decided to bail on watching this over the pandemic. I think that's a great idea. Uh, Having now watched the film, um, this would have given me tremendous anxiety had I watched it over the pandemic, because like, it's kind of a worst case scenario uh, film. But um, you guys made the even, right choice there. Even a few years removed, it was still very creepy and surreal. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, Patrick, I have three questions for you to get to know you and specifically around your history with film. So I want you to tell me your favorite movie ever, the most recent film that you watched uh besides this one of course and then what you're looking forward to most for upcoming releases so we'll go one at a time favorite film ever Ooh, that's a hard one to have like ready um i don't know like what would be my favorite film across genres i mean by the numbers i think i've probably watched the big short the most out of like Uh recent movies um I mean, it's not like a slam dunk masterpiece and all on by all accounts, but it is um it's a fun movie to watch. It's relevant and uh, great casting, great writing. Um, I'd say the funniest movie I've ever seen is between airplane and the other guys. Uh, <laughs> the other guys shares a director with uh, the big short. It's kind of funny how he pivoted from like mid 2000s, you know, Will Ferrell style comedy to like, political drama yeah i probably should have had that answer ready to go knowing i was going to go on a movie <laughs> podcast uh, it is 
It's all good. My hey, friend. you all did good. better than I would. I would just forget every single movie I had ever seen in my life if it's asked like, that question. It's like the Billy Eichner, like man on the street, like name a woman. And they just. <laughs> <laughs> a deer in the headlights. Yeah. Um, um, so most recent film I watched uh, was actually with May a couple days ago. Uh, it was Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, it still holds up just a, a beautiful piece of piece of art. Um, I thought, you know, going into it second time, I kind of knew what to expect and I would uh, uh, emotionally uh, hold myself together a little better and May can tell you uh, I definitely didn't. <laughs> we were um, both sobbing. It's yeah. Fine. <laughs> so, um, no, yeah, that, that, that would also probably be, even though it's so recent, I would say it's probably deserves probably top five in my my first answer. Have you guys talked about it on the on the on the pod? Um, we have gushed about it several times. Okay, we have cool. not covered it as a uh, as a film like you know featured in the uh, in the podcast. Um, not to say that it couldn't pop up, but uh, but yes, we have gushed about it many times, and uh, I think that's uh, an excellent choice, uh, even though it is like recent, what, less than a year old um, or about mm, a year old. About. Yep. Yeah. It's okay. It's excellent. Excellent is excellent. So. And then, and then final question was, what film are you looking to, forward to most uh, for upcoming releases? Hmm. I've been a little out of out of the loop. Um, I guess it's not really an upcoming release now that it's in theaters, but John Wick 4, I was uh, very excited about. Um, and I've only that. heard amazing things. As far as like what's on deck for this year... Um, I actually, I, I really, I feel bad. I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a, a movie I'm excited about this year. Um, I think I know one D and D movie. Oh yeah, I, I wasn't sure if that was already out yet. Um, no, not quite yet. Okay, so yes, that that that'd be a fun time. Um, Are you a, a fan of uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, work? Uh, looking forward to oh, the second part of Dune, which is supposed yeah. to be out, I think, in the fall. <laughs> Okay, I didn't know that was um already like slated. It had a release date. Okay, yes, then also that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I um I think it gives me enough time to get around to reading Dune. But yeah, that uh the the first one was just a a masterpiece. It was one of the best sci-fi films I've seen in a long time. Well, I appreciate you sharing your responses. Just always fun way for our audience to get to know. A little bit about your history at Halloween. You know, we we get a little more like detail with like you know uh, containing it to horror, but I figured we'd uh, open up the door to just film in general for you. So as I said on today's episode, we are going to be discussing uh, Contagion, the twenty twenty eleven, yeah, twenty eleven yeah. film. Um, Steven Soderbergh, very excited about that. The category was awkward. And based on the description of that category, I think Will did a great job <laughs> with our first <laughs> film selection in that category. Uh, but first, uh, Patrick, if you don't mind being on the hot seat for just a little bit longer, I'm going to draw you a random side quest. I'll read the prompt for you, and then you can put forth whatever nomination you would like. Sure. Let's do it. So I'm shuffling the digital card deck. Ah. We never get to see. Yeah. You don't. I mean, you, you if you watch the YouTube version, you certainly do get to see. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, in the moment, um, I could just be lying to you guys. It, it's it's great. I feel like I have so much power. <laughs> yeah. What's so, so you don't edit it after the fact, Chris? This could all be manufactured. You know, the conspiracy theories. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Patrick, your uh, side quest is immersive experience where you can nominate a film. And I think we got a little fast and loose maybe on this one and even said like TV shows would technically be okay, or maybe like films that also have a TV universe. But uh, pick a movie or TV show where you would yourself like to live in that world and participate in that universe. So, huh? sky's the limit, buddy. You guys have seen Elysium, right? Mm-hmm. So I, that that's not obviously a place I'd want to live on either. But it's I think at the end it's sort of hinted that they do this mass like redistribution of tech and wealth, and the they all get the health pods, and it sounds like there's um, a reorganization of society. I, maybe I might I might roll the dice and see if uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that really counts because I, I think we're, we're saying like, would you want to be included in the movie like? in that world or is it uh, you know what i mean like it's not really you, you could yeah and listen you, you can nominate that and have the caveat of like post like shit hitting the fan in the plot of the film like elysium mm-hmm. like the technology exists right and if it does get redistributed i think that's fine like um you could be an optimist all you want for sure <laughs> Uh, I when I saw that film for the first time, I thought that was surely going to be a MacGuffin, and he was going to hook up to that thing, and it was going to be like, "Oh my no, this this doesn't actually like work. Like this is just a, <laughs> a fairy tale." Um, but uh, right, I mean, like uh, the 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 title that came to my head was like Star Trek, but the catch is that I haven't seen the Star Trek movies or the series, so because I was like, well, it's like this post scarcity kind of utopia for some that's my understanding at least but i don't think i can include that because i i haven't actually seen it <laughs> you're uh that was the type of answer i was going for lovely yeah. girlfriend has uh chosen that as a previous uh oh, response okay. to this very prompt um yeah <laughs> you so have hit the cheating. nail on the head <laughs> <laughs> not at all <laughs> um but yeah i was going for just thinking in my head what movies are like kind of like optimistic post-scarcity sci-fi yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you have a good pick with Elysium, and it's it's very you because there's there's no more illness. You you've doctored <laughs> everything away. Yeah, we got to get the meta base. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I love that pick. It's been a long time since I've seen Elysium. I remember initially being a little like disappointed after District Nine because that was such a fantastic, like almost like perfect movie mm-hmm. because of the subject matter, especially being so close to um you know uh the director's like history in south africa and south africa's history with uh, apartheid right. and all that like um but i, I think probably be worth a second look elysium i never saw what was chappy was that like another one of his i never mm-hmm. went to that either but um i hope he continues to make uh film but um it's been a while since i've seen it so in that film, I know there's like the medical pod that can cure anything, right? And the main plot is that Matt Damon ha- contracts cancer from some like work accident or something, yeah. right? And they're like, oh, here's a bunch of money. Go get drunk and laid and then die quickly, please. And and he decides like, no, I don't want to do that. And uh, there's some sort of revolution, right? Am I, am I getting it right? I feel like maybe I'm conflating this with something else in my head too, but. That, that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, nice. And there's like a, a villain uh, I know that's played by Charlito Copley. I think is how you say his name, named Kruger. Um, that's the only other thing that sticks out about that movie. He was like some commando badass or something. But yeah. Yeah, he's like an asset for the uh, like to do the wet work for the like elites on the ship, like down on Earth. He's a really cool character. 
Yes. Do yeah. I honestly that's the part of the movie I remember the most is Kruger, just because going from his little meek uh bureaucratic type in district nine to like an actual badass was kind of a cool transformation mm-hmm. to see but well i'm going to turn it over to mr rotondi who nominated our film today contagion for awkward which is our category uh where we discuss a movie that is prescient and uh with enough time and distance from from current events uh predicted some stuff maybe um we'll talk i'm sure and if we feel like this film did that, uh, spoiler alert, I think it did. But um, yeah, we'll take it away. Got it through the uh, guide us through the discussion. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say Contagion is very much an eerie prediction of how the world would react to a global pandemic. I mean, while the virus in Contagion, which is referred to as MEV1 or MEV1, is different from COVID. I mean, there's certainly a lot of similarities, enough that it was like pretty big, I guess, on the internet when it came out, because I remember hearing about how this film was like something I should watch. I never got around to it. Um, But just similarities like how the virus is transmitted, how countries react to it as it spreads, uh, the propagation of like false information on the internet, and when people start to panic. I mean, all I can really say is I'm glad that I was apparently living under a rock when this movie came out, (laughs) because I think if I had seen this prior to 2020, I probably would have freaked out and thought we were all mega screwed when COVID hit. Because, I mean, I'm not saying that COVID was like a walk in the park in comparison to this film, but like MEV1 is definitely a lot worse in comparison for how quickly it spreads and just how disastrous it is, disastrous rather than it is. So... Um, if any of our fellow listeners uh, happen to have been living under a rock with me and you feel free to Google why is contagion so accurate, you'll be given quite a bit of articles that all came out right around that March 2020 time frame that wanted to uh, to compare and contrast. So, um, But I guess before we dive into some of those similarities, differences, and all that good stuff, uh, let's go ahead and get some general impressions. And Pat, as our guest... I'm going to have you uh, have give you the honor rather of, of going first. I know you talked a little bit about already about how you really like the movie, um, but maybe just give us a little bit more detail about what it was that stuck out to you about the film that you really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, like disease causing an apocalypse was kind of a saturated genre in the 2010s, I think, with uh, a lot of other horror sci-fi films. Um, but I guess there wasn't really any suspension of disbelief when it came to contagion it was just uh it was just so realistic and i and i remember um and i'm sure we'll talk about this in the episode uh probably the most effective scene for instilling dread is the first few minutes when you follow the fomite uh around like with the the credit card and then the 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 um pos console and the glass and then the traveler and I don't know, like it, you just, that tightness in your chest um, was a mark of one amazing directing. And it, it was the feeling I felt all of like February of 2020 when I just kept like refreshing worldometer for like case counts of uh, this weird pneumonia in China. And I'm like, wow, this there, there's no brakes on this train. Um so it just it rhymed a lot, and uh, and I see why people went to go rewatch it. Um, are there like general impressions before we get into it? I mean, I 
um i agree it was uh, like it wasn't just a film about epidemiology it was a, a sociology movie basically about alternative truths with um you know throughout the whole thing skepticism and um the only thing that i want to like caution people about is like we you can go read like recent letterboxd reviews of uh, this movie and they're all like wow it was like crazy to live through this i'm like we got insanely lucky with covid all things considered i mean i know it disrupted a lot um but all in all this uh, you know just just a roll of dice could have made this thing uh you know uh, a Cormac McCarthy novel like <laughs> uh um just in terms of just like very basic biochemistry of, of of how of how a virus like this works um it was i optimistically hoped it would be a wake up call um for like how we do how we handle the next pandemic that is going to come um and maybe I'll talk about this later but um it i don't know seeing the seeing it happen in real life didn't really um instill me with a whole lot of hope for what for what happens next but anyways uh great movie uh, i also thought it was um pretty pretty good at like teaching viewers like real basic one-on-one stuff about epidemiology like what a fomite is what an r naught value is um and I, I guess um just it 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 didn't really take a lot of like artistic license it was just um it was like a, a dramatic documentary almost if that's something that hadn't happened yet so yeah that's pretty much my take i like that <clears throat> and actually too if you don't mind uh, just kind of giving us a quick review for those who are listening about what a fomite is what an r naught value is and why that's relevant to the story yeah so um the a lot of the can well a lot of the pathogens you encounter in your daily life the ones you grow up getting every winter um, they, you like to think of them as, uh, they're, they're spread by respiratory droplets, like the common cold, the flu, um, strep throat, but fomites are basically surface, um, surfaces that act as a source of transmission for uh, a viable pathogen. Um, so there's a lot of, in the life cycle of a pathogen, there's a lot of, um, sort of intermediate steps between going from person to person. They can have, uh, zoonotic reservoirs. Um, uh, and I can, again, I don't want to, I got to remember the scope of this, uh, um, this episode here, but, um, it's, it's basically as a fomite is an intermediate, um, physical surface between, uh, between transmission. And as we remember from, I don't know if you guys were sanitizing your groceries in uh, March of 2020, but, I feel like we initially were very cautious with with fomite transmission with COVID. We didn't really know that um, fomites weren't really driving much of the spread. It was more about uh, droplets. But I just remember all the, um, you could almost call it like security theater where everything was getting sprayed and wiped down all the time, even if it wasn't really doing anything for stopping transmission. But uh, anyways, uh, that's fomites. R not is a measure of, well, in short, it's a measure of how contagious a virus is um, when there are no, when when the hosts are immune naive. Uh, basically, they haven't, they don't have any pre-existing immunity or innate resistance to the pathogen, um, and also uh, there is no like we call them NP, non-pharmacological interventions being done, so like distancing, 
um, masking, uh, isolating, things like that. Um, so it, it's a fundamental measure of the pathogen just in uncontrolled spread, maybe is a simpler way to say it. Um, and it's a uh, it's not really a linear thing. And I think that's pretty well estimate, well explained in the movie that um, when an R-naught is above one, it, it can now spread uncontrolled. Um, any any way to get the R value, which is no longer, well, R-naught, again, is the fundamental value, but you can affect the R value based on a lot of other things. So you bring the R value below one, the infection sort of burns itself out. Um, but the R value can change on a lot of principles. And so um, like the most contagious disease we've ever encountered as a human race was measles, uh, which as an R-naught, I think of like eight to 10. Mm. Um and it's it is absurdly contagious, uh, and maybe you guys have been around and there are measles outbreaks, but you can catch measles from being in an elevator that someone was who was contagious with measles was in like hours ago. Like it's um, the uh, <laughs> we almost got rid of it in the U.S., but anyways, that's that's our not. Um, and uh, and what other terms are really brought up in the movie? Um, I can't remember. Yeah, those are the those are the two big ones that I think were kind of explained by the um, that CDC scientist. So now I'm going to turn it over to May to get your impressions of having, I guess, completed this film. <laughs> <laughs> to yeah, go back uh, and rewatch. This is the first time for me watching it, uh, and as I said earlier, it was spooky. It was eerie. We're only three years out, right, from 2020, and it. Mm was just so similar in so many ways i couldn't believe it was the thing that came out in 2011 and obviously the scientific stuff that like pat was talking about with um how the actual outbreak happens and is spread was very accurate but everything with like how the CDC's PR got fumbled and how there were these conspiracy theorists was also eerily accurate. So yeah, it was just like uncanny. Uh, And again, Will, perfect pick for awkward. (laughs) Nails the category. (laughs) I stole it before one of you all was going to take it. (laughs) I knew it was going to end up on that That's why you were on the spreadsheet so early. Okay. Yep. I was like, I gotta, I gotta call it. I gotta get dibs. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Then Chris, how about you? What are your, what's your take? Uh, I thought it was fabulous. When I talk about like a film that moves and has momentum, like this, this movie really like hits the ground running. Um, It it has no, no fat whatsoever on it. Every scene serves a great purpose. The characters, you know, short lived or like all the way through, like depending on who it is, all really, really uh, memorable and, um, none of it felt contrived, and that's what I really appreciated. Mm-hmm. I was expecting mm-hmm. a lot more melodrama, which is typically what you see in these uh, sorts of films. And it really just retained a level of humanity that felt real, but not overly like done. And um, I just thought it was spectacular. This would be one that I watch again. Like I, uh, it got to the end of it. It's like, wow, this is so much better than I thought it was is going to be, like given the subject matter. Uh, and as I've already said, I, I agree. I think it's a it's a great pick. 
Uh, it does not give me great hope for the human race because I feel like <laughs> it's a good example of how we can be sort of predictable creatures in a lot of ways. And um, I, I think given who the filmmaker is and, you know, I, I'd put him, he tends to to do like the occasional crowd pleaser like Ocean's Eleven, but Steven Soderbergh is also very much in touch with, um, you know, his artistic side as well and has a pretty good grasp on humanity. And I think... Uh, he probably saw a lot of stuff through just observing human behavior. And I think it's less him being lucky and probably just having a good grasp on what people are like. And that's kind of scary, you know, um, as uh, Patrick already said, uh, it does make me feel very fortunate with where things sort of leveled out with COVID. I remember doing calculations like on food, like how much food, do we need like what's the most effective stuff to have on hand and like it never got to that point and that was really really lucky you know but um i i do think a lot of like you know well some of the footage of which behind you is is probably um maybe seem more hyperbolic in 2011 than it did now it was like yeah i think we were probably closer to that than we would have liked you know with a with a few more unfortunate turn of events and things could have gotten a lot worse so I'm glad that he didn't though but uh yeah i love this movie so um great pick i'm very glad to have watched it even if it did freak me out yeah i'm actually glad that you brought up the melodrama too in the sense of like you know in a, i guess in a very typical hollywood fashion in most films whether it's about this subject matter or not, you know, you have like these kind of intense moments and you sort of expect that something dramatic is going to happen after the fact. Like there's a scene where Matt Damon's character in the film is taking his daughter to try and get out of the state and gets to a checkpoint and gets out of his car and wants to argue with the military guy with the assault rifle. And you think, okay, you know, if this was like a typical, I don't know, overly dramatic film that guy might actually like lift his gun up and like threaten him and there might be like a shootout or somebody might get hit you know but instead it's like a very sort of realistic exchange between the two where it's just them arguing about it and the soldier the national guard guy putting him in his place and he just gets back in his car and goes you know and and so i i appreciated that it wasn't over like you had mentioned that it, it felt real it felt like these were real people that were all just trying to understand what was going on and try their best not to panic although it did happen at some points with some of the main characters mostly just all the the side characters that you see that, that show up um but yeah just the it felt more huge it, it felt more like reality and i think in some respects that's a good thing for the sake of the film as a teaching uh, as as a way to teach other people about you know this this could happen this way um it makes it more realistic in in hindsight having dealt with covid um and like you mentioned too chris i mean it's like with a few extra pushes in that direction and kind of also off of what pat was saying too like it could have been worse it could have been a whole lot worse so we just hope that if and when hopefully not if in our lifetime, but if and when it happens again, that it's something that we have a better handle on. Besides that, uh, well, I guess sort of off of that then, thinking about some of the similarities between what we've gone through in our current time and what's depicted in the film, I'd kind of like to hear from each one of you about which similarities sort of stood out the most to you as like the most striking, whether it's the first thing that you you saw that you were like, oh, wow, you know, like this is starting to line up with what we've dealt with or 
whether it's just from the film as a whole, um, something that really stood out in terms of whether it's an aspect of the virus, whether it's a reaction of a character, um, but just mostly what was really, what you thought stood out the most in terms of that. And I'm just going to kind of go back through the list again and start with you, Pat. Yeah. So favorite parallel was kind of the, the, mm-hmm. the question. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was my favorite in the sense that I enjoyed watching it, but I think the parallel of um, <laughs> like hoax cures um, was mm-hmm. was uh, something that I, I don't think anybody in 2011 would have seen and called it so accurately um, with the, the stand in for, I guess, like an Alex Jones type. But mm-hmm. and um, but I don't know, like the um, the hype around it was was it called Forsythia, Forsythia. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess like ivermectin would have been uh, I just they they really rhymed uh, in terms of like how they were marketed and it became sort of this um, litmus thing you would align yourself against or for politically. Um, I, I guess, um, and I, I actually have not rewatched the movie in, in its full length. Um, so I don't remember some of the minor details you can fill in and bounce off this, but like um, the idea that like maybe even if we were given uh, basically this miracle vaccine, um I guess the epidemiologists didn't realize what if people just don't want to take it? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, what if people uh, are no longer really that afraid of the virus? And I think that's um, a big difference between COVID and um, this apocalypse virus, MEV1 uh, in contagion is that, you know, in contagion within a few days, these people are seizing and aspirating and dying right in front of people. And there's this mental, um, it, it sticks with you. And I think people in general are really bad about estimating risk. I mean, why do people drive without seat belts or, um, or, or smoke or anything like that? Um, it, it's, it's something you can't quite see in front of you, the consequence of, and I don't think we really have the hardware to properly assess risk. So with COVID um, you around you, the available experiences you have that heuristic you you draw from is that, well, people kind of feel crummy. And then most of the ones I know maybe did fine. Um, and they, they don't get to see uh, someone um, drowning in their own lungs on a ventilator. Um, so COVID was kind of in this weird um, valley where um, it wasn't acute and severe enough to really scare people into behaving. Um, and, but it was severe enough to certainly disrupt a lot of life. Um and, and shut down and overwhelm a healthcare system and uh, effectively cull a lot of vulnerable people. And it was horrible to watch, but you couldn't really convince people viscerally that it was that dangerous um, versus something like Ebola, which has these flare ups, but it's easy to see who has Ebola. Um, <laughs> it's a hemorrhagic fever. People bleed out of anything that can bleed. It's easy to avoid people with Ebola um, and it's very dramatic. Um, so it's, it, it, people are able to pretty quickly realize it's sort of a self-limiting outbreak usually. Um, and so with contagion, I guess, um, with the MEV1, it was like a response that we didn't see, I think, because it was, um, just so dramatic, the deaths and how quickly they happened. Um, and there was a very short incubation period. Uh, which is another thing that I think the movie did really well is describe why incubation periods are so critical to modeling outbreaks. Mm-hmm. But 
yeah, so that was kind of my, I guess that was a parallel and then a, um, a contrast, but, uh, I think, how long did it take the vaccine to come out in the movie? Was it like months? I feel like by the time they started working on it, it was probably about three months or so in. And then by the time they got it produced, they rushed it so fast. I feel like this movie took place in like half a year, maybe three quarters mm-hmm. of a year. Um, I'd have to go back and confirm that, but that's what it felt like between the dates and just yeah. how quickly everything happened yeah that's another good parallel is um i and, and honestly in like mid 2020 um i was very pessimistic about a vaccine i was like well mm. you know, we've got like 10 candidates right now but the average vaccine from uh idea to rollout is like six to ten years in most cases optimistically um but i guess i'd forgotten that uh when humans kind of focus their efforts amazing things happen and i, and I don't think we really had ever had an opportunity in our human race to um, rush a new vaccine to market like this. Um, I mean, even smallpox wasn't really as coordinated. Um, So it was just, it was interesting to see um, the movie also predict that absolutely we can rush a miracle vaccine very quickly when there's a lot of motivation behind it. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking about a comment that you mentioned about people not wanting to take it um, as being a, something that the film didn't sort of, predict um or i guess there was so so there was a little bit i felt like there was a little bit of that pushback because jude law's character is the sort of the the one who does say that you know don't that it's just the pharmaceutical companies want to benefit off of you and you shouldn't do what they say and you should take He's the Alex Jones. yeah <laughs> yeah he is totally the alex jones which was insane to me um but there's definitely a, I was reading through an article where there was a, I think it was Dr. Paul Moffat or Offit, and like have a note here about it, where he's a, pedi- a Philadelphia pediatrician whose comment about, and this was back in March, 2020, when they were talking about this film, about contagion and comparing it to COVID. And he talked about how he liked how he was like, you know, how often in movies are the vaccines, the hero? And I thought, oh man, give it time, Paul, <laughs> give it time. <laughs> Not everybody's going to feel that way, you know, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, so, but I think you make an excellent point too um, about that, about how, you know, the, that, that the film itself tries to be realistic because there are several people that talk about like, how long does it take, you know, if we get through clinical trials, you know, how long those trials are going to take. And then we get to mass production of the vaccine. And then how do we decide who's going to get it? And how do we know if somebody has gotten it, you know? And so that sort of, it all felt very similar uh, to me with that too. But like you said, you know, like being able to, to push something out, faster than is normal it may not be as fast as say some other popular uh <laughs> virus uh science fiction movies such as outbreak <laughs> for those of us who may have seen that film uh with uh, dustin hoffman and morgan freeman where they like do a rush job on a vaccine in like two days but <laughs> there are oh, yeah. it's yeah no yeah um <laughs> But it is interesting to see where there seems to it's more realistic, I feel like, in terms of like the projection. It may not, depending on how you feel, and there you there we could get some pushback uh as we get to a couple other uh questions on whether we think that is if that is sort of the Hollywood um uh step back from realism just a little bit or not, but still uh realistic enough that it felt like it felt very well with our current time. So yeah. As a fun fact aside, um, I haven't seen Outbreak, but 
what you mentioned about the the quick turnaround. Um, as soon as the um, first institute of virology in China published publicly the genome of this new coronavirus, they were seeing these case clusters in. Uh, Moderna was already tinkering with mRNA vaccines. The, it had been sort of a, a proof of concept for decades, actually, at this point. And they did actually uh, create the first prototypical mRNA sequence for the vaccine in about a weekend. Um, wow. Yeah. Cool. And the, the trials took, you know, months and months, but um, it actually was developed in about uh, 48 hours. Wow. We had it ready to go. It was neat. Science. Yeah. It's, it's amazing, <laughs> isn't it? Then I take back everything I said about Dustin Hoffman, Morgan Freeman, and trying to fight a virus. <laughs> uh, well, uh, with that in mind and my long-winded response, I'm going to turn it over to you, May, to hear what you thought was the most exciting parallel. In the yeah. Um, I mean, I do think uh, Alan Crumweed, the Jude Law character, is very interesting, but I even more so than him, just is kind of like the Alex Jones stand-in. I think it's really interesting, the contrast that's drawn between him and Dr. Ellis Cheever, who you could compare to like Fauci now, mm-hmm. um, with how their quote-unquote scandals with regard to the pandemic response are so disproportionately treated. Yeah. Like Dr. Cheever just told his fiance to maybe get out of Chicago a few hours early, which sure, that Technically, it was not something he should have done, but I think almost anyone in his position probably would have done that, right? Um, whereas you have Alan Crumweed, who basically made a ton off of supplements that don't work and probably led to the deaths of a lot of people, including that one friend that you saw on camera, mm-hmm. um, as well as all the kind of embezzlement with the hedge fund guy and all that. Uh, and he's probably going to be fine. He's going to get sued, probably, but... He got out he got out on bail from his followers and it just it's crazy because you kind of see parallels with say politicians that made some very convenient stock uh buys and sells right when the pandemic, you know, started when they had advanced information, as well as people like Alex Jones who have been selling, you know, supplements and ivermectin and all that kind of jazz and have not faced all that much repercussion wise whereas i think fauci got like death threats and stuff like i don't know where his career is standing but like he's known as uh, the covid guy for better or worse now for the rest of his life um and so yeah i think it's just interesting how like different people are held to wildly different standards and that got modeled pretty well by this movie what was the craziest thing that you heard that would actually try and cure covid the darkest one I heard was like drinking Clorox, but that one mm. was just, yeah. Solid. Pat, how about for yourself? Anything that stood out when you were just like, you guys have got to be kidding me. <laughs> um, early, uh, before I started med school that summer, um, in March, I was um, getting, I, I had picked up some groceries for some uh, older like family friends and um, I like wiped them down and I brought them to their door and they were um, applying uh, like Neosporin under their nose. Mm. And uh, Mm. Mm. it wasn't even that insane, but I was just like, you didn't really think that one through. Um, (laughs) It was just sort of funny, Uh, but actually um, we had a shortage uh, locally in Atlanta. We had a shortage of povidone, 
Uh, it's an mm -hmm. iodine solution we use to prep surgical sites. Um, because uh, too many uh, sort of, let's say, alternative health enthusiasts were buying it up to uh, either drink or um, give themselves enemas with or aspirate Ooh. with like a neti pot. Um, iodine solution was being bought up before uh, hospital surgical departments could get it. Um, so that that one stands out to me. Um, but I don't think any others. Uh, if any, if one comes up, I'll uh, I'll chime in. <laughs> but the the iodine one was pretty funny. Chris, how about yourself, man? I'm going to turn it back over to you to catch up on uh, not only a parallel to the film, but also any crazy uh, treatments for COVID that you might have come across. Um, I think the parallel that I um I kinda enjoyed the first word that comes comes to mind, but it certainly didn't enjoy it. But the one that really struck the biggest chord with me was uh the timeline of things, uh sort of how like the awareness of the virus rolls out to like the greater public. Very similar, like I like the rumblings of, of COVID, and then like you know, it entered the news cycle a little bit more frequently, and then it felt like there was just like this turning point where, oh, you're going home now from work. We have no idea when you're going back and we're all in isolation and there's all this uncertainty and doubt. And I think the film tackled that really, really like well in terms of being accurate and how that, you know, all that, all that feels and, and how it looks in terms of like public knowledge and awareness and how serious people are taking things. And, um, what what it looks like so yeah and then you have like terms like social distancing and shit that like came came up in the in the movie that probably seems like oh maybe this is a legit term but i mean it's a term that and i think anybody that lived through covid will never forget and understand exactly what that means right and why mm -hmm. isolation is important so uh yeah just the timeline in general i thought like the, I mean, even all the way up through the vaccine to kind of bring it back to that and um all seemed very familiar <laughs> mm -hmm. um as far as like remedies go i don't i don't know like i think you guys have covered most of the crazy ones ivermectin like was 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 kind of like meme worthy but also sad like in a way as well like you know it was hard not to chuckle at some of the ridiculousness of that but also i'm sure a lot of people probably got sick and died as a result of thinking that it was the safer option versus the vaccine um yeah i don't know how i have a lot more to to offer on that unfortunately i think we've covered most of the bases there i was reading across a list of items kind of like a top 10 list of crazy uh remedies for covid and one of them i'll make a listicle about anything these days <laughs> i know yeah um it was something to the effect of if you inhaled the hot air from a from one of those blow dryers, um, I guess like a hair dryer. It was either a hair dryer or it's like a hand dryer. One of the one of the two, maybe both. That that would somehow help. And I just thought, wow, I, <laughs> just the image of somebody trying to just inhale hot air, thinking that somehow that's cheeks gonna... <laughs> blowing out yep. from the air pressure. <laughs> somehow that's yeah that's gonna take care of it yep just give your whole face a sauna and that'll you know <laughs> exposure therapy to all of the germs i mean look i'm not saying that doing that wouldn't feel good i'm i can't confirm or deny that but i i don't think that that will uh solve your problem so <laughs> uh 
yeah i think for me um the i think sort of the the hesitancy in some uh, some parts of the film where they weren't really sure where to to talk about where the virus originated and um you know not really knowing for sure where it came from but having kind of an idea i felt was very realistic and very similar to what we've had to go through i mean there's been talk about where covid may have come from or may not have come from and um so i think between that and then when it when it continued to change you know thinking about how we've had so many variants now um that was probably the uh, a part in the film where i was just like oh here we go all right <laughs> it's time for the next round let's see what's gonna happen you know and so that's probably what stood out to me the most but thinking about and this actually ties into the next question that i've got for you guys is thinking about the very end where we actually do see in sort of a flashback uh, for the sake for the viewers to be able to know where where things all tied together and and started um that we're given a glimpse of what the cause was at least based on what the film wants to tell us which is that we're the viewers we're given a closure uh would we see that a bulldozer um is in a forest in china it destroys a bat habitat those bats then migrate find some bananas and end up taking shelter in this pig farm where they're eating and a bat just one bat happens to drop a little piece of banana that it's eating which is then eaten by a pig and that pig's then sold at market and is then prepared in a casino which is where Gwyneth Paltrow's character who which I know we haven't really talked about any of the specific characters beyond maybe Matt Damon and Lawrence Fishburne's character um but Gwyneth Paltrow who is shown to be sort of the the beginning of the spread of the virus from being infected by shaking hands with the chef who's preparing that pig, who kind of stops mid preparation, doesn't wash his hands and then goes out and shakes hands with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, and so that's been sort of where we see the virus begin from. Um, so I, I bring this all up to ask um, whether you feel like having this sense of closure, how that, how you feel like that affects the film overall um does it help having that and as sort of a follow-up question if you're comfortable answering because i know that sometimes in the news especially with covid this can be kind of a contentious point that people talk about about the origin of covid um would having this kind of closure with covid make any difference to you as well and so pat i'll go ahead and pass that over to you so you're saying would would knowing like with you know perfect ground truth that um this like zoonotic transmission of covid from like we just, if we knew exactly how it started would that change anything today um well one i just want to say that the the sequence at the very end was um one of the more accurate um depictions of antigenic shift that you see um when you suddenly get a new pandemic strain of flu, for example, is exactly how it happens. Um, basically, one zoonotic host, like a pig, gets infected with two separate strains of, say, influenza A, um, and they sort of trade notes accidentally while infecting the same cell in the pig. And all of a sudden, um, you get this massive... Uh, you know, most, of those, most of those note trading is basically a dead end. Um, where it's just not a viable virus particle anymore, but sometimes it uh, suddenly 
has a totally new assortment of antigens on its surface that make it incredibly uh, dangerous to a new host. Um, we saw that a few times in history with flu, but um, the uh, movie itself is based off of what's called Nipah virus. Um, it's a very similar in real life to the one in the movie. It's uh, it's actually from pigs and it was from a co-infection in bats that happened in the 90s. Um, we've fortunately never seen sustained human to human transmission of it, but um, it, there are occasional outbreaks um, in, I believe, Malaysia and India but and Bangladesh. But um, I guess to answer the question, though, to bring it back, um, would knowing it change and eat? Well, my takeaway from a lot of it is just that, like I said, with that um, that horribly unlucky event with this co-infection of two strains of a virus, same virus, um, I mean, it's, it's an indictment of industrial agriculture um, and uh, factory farming, because unfortunately, when you have, um, I, I don't know the exact numbers on like chickens that we have in factory farms, but you're basically rolling those dice billions, if not trillions of times a day. Um, sometimes you're going to get a very unlucky roll and it would kind of confirm what we already sort of suspected. And that's just that when you, when like the, the setup we have of, of raising livestock doesn't really do us any favors when it comes to cooking up new, new fun pathogens that are really good at infecting <laughs> mammals suddenly. Um, and we're seeing that kind of right now in slow motion with H5N1. Uh, it's a, a pre-existing strain of, of avian flu that um, really, really messes up human lungs. But um, over the past few years, we've seen it steadily get better at finding new mammals to infect. Um, I don't know where COVID came from. Um, it's kind of hard to, 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 to really figure out now at this point. Uh, there's only so much surveillance data you can actually do on like livestock and whatnot. But I don't really have a concise answer. I, I guess just it, it doesn't really change the setup is that we're, we're, we have stacked the deck to, to eventually come up with new animal born pathogens that spread really easily in humans. And um, that regardless of whether it was a, a gain of function lab leak or, or whatever, it, it's just, they're, they're going to happen. And I don't know if our ability to respond to the next one is any different, whether it came from human experimentation or accident. It's just, it's all the same. Uh, I don't know if we're really ready for it. I don't know what kind of answer we were expecting. But yeah. <laughs> I thought there's two very interesting things about the ending. One is like Patrick was talking about with showing its combination of the large scale farming and the environmental encroachments that leads to this disaster, right? Um, and how that wasn't necessarily what was being talked about for the whole movie. Like they were trying to find patient zero but there was not much of any conversation about the environmental and industrial factors that would have led to a crossover like this. Um, so it was like kind of weird for that to be just like a, a visual afterthought with no doubt dialogue or really discussion going on about it. Um, but it also felt kind of accurate to how we've been talking about COVID. Like politically, it matters a lot what country it came from. Everyone cares about that. But less so about what environmental conditions led to that which i think is probably more important because you see ecological encroachment happening in every country and mm -hmm. that's often what leads to things like this 
The other interesting thing is that um, the bulldozing was happening as a result, like the bulldozers had the logo of Beth's company, Gwyneth Paltrow's mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. Uh, which was, <laughs> I thought, a very poetic little touch there. Um, and I don't know, it just brought kind of a cosmic irony to the whole thing, but it also... I guess made it less believable because oftentimes like the executives and people in charge of these large companies that are creating conditions for pandemics to occur will never see any kind of consequences. Whereas she was the first consequence really. And uh, yeah, as far as COVID, sorry, sorry. I was just going to say as far as COVID (laughs) goes, like I, I don't, I don't care too much in terms of like, you know, lab league versus market debate. What what I worried about is like more animal crossover happening. And we should be talking more about how we take steps with our agriculture and industrial practices to prevent that. I like the that the ending was poetic and I think it was you know it's offered up almost like food for thought, right? Of nobody is talking about these things like hey audience like what do you think of, about that right like that like the driving cause of this is really like the human factor like yeah it might come from animals but like we're i mean we're the root cause of why the the events take place that lead to the creation of the virus um and yeah the the the, the ironic um <laughs> factor was was awesome um, I'll give Marianne credit. She's the first one to notice the logo. She was like, that, that's her company. See, like that was her company. Um, she played herself kind of thing. And like, yeah, that's uh, it, probably one of the more like cinematic touches in a film that is pretty grounded, but I didn't mind it. Um, as far as where COVID came from, I don't really give a shit. Like, I, I think it's way more important to figure out, um, as others have already said, how to mitigate like something like that from happening um and then just doing better that the next time around seems like it's inevitable like the lessons that we take from this pandemic and what went what went well and what didn't i think um if people could learn from that and have some some self-reflection and i think that's um I'm, i'm content with that um personally i don't think i would get any closure whatsoever um from like yeah the, this, this this bat dropped a piece of banana and like oh cool that's how it happened like well, well that makes me feel better like no, it doesn't matter <laughs> to me whatsoever are there any other items thoughts about the film that you want to that you guys want to make sure that we cover before we wrap up and, and get to a game and that can include uh any potential additions to the weird covid remedies um <laughs> <laughs> or just in general, anything that you really liked about the film that you want to make sure we talk about. It's um, like that there was no plot. Ar- oh, sorry, Pat, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. <laughs> uh, I just like that nobody had plot armor. I thought that was really refreshing. That like, mm-hmm. yep, it's a uh, a pandemic, a very serious one at that. People get sick and die, and doesn't matter who the uh, the top build stars are. You know, uh, I thought that was was great because. Had a little bit of a suspense factor, but also I wasn't going well. Like Kate Winslet, you know, like she's safe. Um, <laughs> like she's going to be the hero of the whole thing because it's Kate Winslet. Um, really like that that factor. So that's just odd. I thought it was brave in terms of 
you know, it helps to have a big ensemble cast, I guess, to be able to do that as well. Because you couldn't kill all of your main actors. Let's be real. <laughs> like somebody's <laughs> going to carry the film. But um, but it's still I thought it was a fairly brave storytelling choice. Yeah, seriously, it's not Game of Thrones over here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Pat, you were saying? Oh, I was just, uh, I loved that of all people to cast as a, a CDC lab tech, it was Dimitri Martin. Uh, I just, it immediately took me out of it when I saw it. I was like, what is this <laughs> movie trying to be? Yeah, exactly. Um, So that was just sort of a silly little thing mm. I couldn't get over. Um, <laughs> Other takeaways. I think Soderbergh said in an interview when I was just sort of Googling around before this podcast, Soderbergh said he wanted to do sort of a spiritual successor to contagion. I don't know Mm -hmm. if he's made plans or really greenlit a film about it, but I would like to see him revisit this idea in a movie. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing I'm, I'm interested in uh, maybe more just in the real world is our, um, our level of like pandemic fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I saw this happening with uh, like monkeypox. Um, when uh, those uh, cases were also climbing in sort of an uncontrolled, you know, um, exponential way, we didn't really know where the brakes were on this train. I remember seeing, I won't name names, but um, people who were very suspicious. They were like, oh, you know, we're going into the midterms. The Dems aren't doing so hot in the polls. They're going to bring out <laughs> this thing and try to scare us back into, you know, being sheeple or whatever. And, I, and I'm wondering, like, well, let's say H5N1 um suddenly you know we have definitive evidence it can uh spread from human to human and anybody who knows anything about epidemiology says oh like head for the hills we need to get we need to get on top of this thing quickly because it's got a case fatality rate of you know 30 to 50 percent i'm just imagining like a big chunk of the population being like oh here we go again and um not taking it seriously and then we have a extinction level event and i just thought that'd be a poetic way to go um maybe soderbergh will write that into a movie but uh yeah it's just something i was left thinking about is if if we did have the big one would people mm-hmm. even take it seriously in, in enough time for it to make a difference i was just gonna <laughs> say what was dr cheever saying about the disease of misinformation again <laughs> mm. yeah being worse than the actual virus mm-hmm. yeah no perfect i was thinking too uh something that you had mentioned too earlier, Pat, about Ebola, where it's something that you can see the threat, you can see what it's doing versus COVID where it's all internal and, or primarily internal. And so, yeah, I, I think that if if we were to be something worse, you know, if it was more visceral, would we react differently or would we, like you mentioned, just be tired of, of the virus fatigue, you know, uh, just dealing with feeling like it was being automatically politicized versus actually just trying mm-hmm. to listen to science and do what is considered to be the healthiest, safest route. So I'm hundred percent behind you on that, man. And that would be fascinating to see a film on. And I would definitely watch that and probably then get scared shitless about you know, the next thing that comes up in the news. But um, I have one unrelated thought on the movie and that is going back to Chris's, uh thing about plot armor it's mm-hmm. funny that the one character we know is safe which is matt damon's character uh <laughs> as soon as we know he's safe he just goes like full american dad and just like has this great subplot of like intimidating his daughter's boyfriend with a gun and <laughs> arranging a prom for her 
It was yep. like funny and hokey, but kind of sweet. I don't know how you guys felt about that. He, he was pretty gentle. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, go home, man. Like I was like, at least he's not pointing the gun at the poor child. Like that's true. You know, he's yeah, he, like it's he's obviously concerned, but uh, you know, um, I, I was expecting there to again, like I don't know why, like it was far enough in the film to be some melodrama where it's like. Get away from my daughter there. <laughs> Whatever his name was. Like, and I was just glad they didn't go there. He's just very, you know, non-ceremonially like tears them off, like go home. That's yeah. it. I like when the was it when his daughter's about to open the door to let that kid in, and he's just like, No, 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 don't, no, keep the door shut. <laughs> just go home. No, it's fine. We can't, we can't hang out right now. Don't worry. Raw flowers. Yeah, cram them up your ass. Get out of here. Like, <laughs> no, actually, no, it's not okay. Please, please don't. You know, <laughs> don't touch anything. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. Or like the quit touching your no, face. Get away. Yeah. 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 Jog up I did. I did think it was kind of sweet and like very realistic of as things start to come back to normal, he's given time to finally grieve, like in process. Yeah all the stuff with the wife's infidelity and like the loss of, you know, wife and a child, essentially that's a stepkid, but like, um, like that moment crying in the closet, that was really like nice in a sad way of just, Oh, like he's able to kind of process things normally, you know, like for the first time in a while, he's not like on defense mode and survival mode. I mean, I don't know if this is part of our closeout games, but um, has there been, a good piece of COVID pandemic art yet has the movie come out mm. or the, the great work that signifies that time. Um, there has uh, have been movies about or took place during the, the pandemic, but has, has, has someone actually released it yet? Uh, I think the closest someone has come to capturing a lot of that feeling um, is, is Bo Burnham's inside. Uh, I don't know if it's the definitive work, of the pandemic for what it felt like to be an average person stuck inside, but it, it's probably the one that resonated so far with me the most. It, I don't know how you guys feel. That's awesome. I have, I have not seen, but I will have to check out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, how about you, May? Any thoughts to add on that? Uh, I, I mostly agree with Patrick, but I would add that I actually think the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion is a fantastic mm. Um, like pandemic film that's not really about the pandemic, but says a lot more when you see it against the backdrop of the pandemic. It's kind of like it's established that it's at that time at the start of the movie. And then everyone, you know, this isn't really a spoiler, but everyone is going someplace and inoculated against the virus and it becomes a non-issue from that point on. But it just is a great commentary on like the isolationist uh, kind of like elitist attitudes of people who were well off and were not affected at all really by like the social isolation and economic like catastrophe that happened. I'm not going to call this definitive, but something I enjoyed that was of the era was there's a really great bottle episode of Mythic West where they filmed it all in zoom so and it was like a special that they put out mm. so you've got like the whole cast of mythic quests um working you know remotely and it just it 
it felt very authentic in that that way and it was also kind of offered up as a source of comfort to people in the real world of like here's something kind of fun as a distraction and i think it has one of the sweetest endings like ever to an episode of mythic quest which is filled with kind of bittersweet moments and um i really really enjoyed that a lot uh with some time and distance removed especially to kind of see it in a retrospective light versus like in the moment was kind of kind of cool speaking of zoom how could i forget the princess bride reshoots done entirely <laughs> at home you know what i think that may have taken it for me yes uh for those listeners that are not aware you should definitely google uh the remake of the princess bride done entirely with a compilation of actors all shooting on their iphones i'm assuming their iphones on their mobile devices uh pretty much shot for shot or at least their interpretation of it <laughs> line for line maybe is better to there say. we go um with some lego figures and other you know stand-in props to to help connect the scenes uh the entirety of the princess bride which I'm pretty sure ends with the actual director and his father at the end. I could be wrong about that, but I Rob I Reiner, like Carl Reiner, yeah, yeah. And I think that was one of the last things that uh, Reiner Senior did before he passed away. So hmm. I think he passed away. I want to say that I could just be making up fake news right now um, for the sake of this podcast, but hopefully I'm correct. Wait, you hope Carl Reiner's dead? That's that's not nice. I know that is sort of a double-edged sword when I put it that way, right? Like, man, I hope my facts are accurate, but also R.I.P. He, he he didn't he did in fact uh, die June 29th of twenty twenty. So you're you're correct, sir. Well, you killed man. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, I think you guys covered it. I think those are great suggestions um, in terms of like a, a COVID period piece. I, the only other thing I can think of that probably even, I mean, that I would vote for in a tangential way is The Last of Us, because I think zombie movies are the closest we'll have to like understanding how people will panic about things that are not as in control that they think they're in control of and they can't like i used to look at zombie movies and think this is so ridiculous and over the top and why is there always like that one idiot that lets the one zombie into the base where everybody's camped out at and then i COVID happened and i'm like you know what i zombie movies were not harsh enough <laughs> like it's completely plausible now i could i entirely believe that this could happen now and that people would react this way so I mean, that put zombie movies in a new light for me, too. And I love The Last of Us video game and the the show itself on its own merits without even thinking about it in relation to COVID. But I would I'd have to throw that in there, too. Yeah. So. I'm uh, about halfway through the second one. In fact, I think I know I'm halfway through the second one for those who have played the second one with the big plot switch. But ah, um, I'm, I'm, nice. I'm loving it uh, so far. It's probably the best story based video game I played uh, that I can remember, actually. I'm really going to give it the superlative Ooh. there. All but right. vibing with it. People loved it or hated it. There was, there was no no uh, two speeds on that one. I'm going to yeah. put them both together as one one work as a video <laughs> game. I, 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 I do love the second. I don't fall into the camp of uh, hating it because it's trendy to hate the second one. But anyways, yeah. Huge, huge fan of the gameplay. Yeah, so... Uh... Chris, all I'm saying is when you get the group back together for your uh, your video game discussion, Pat needs to, you know, meet up and talk about. <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> 
Yeah, if, if nice. ECG ever uh, gets back together, we'll, we'll put an addendum in there. Uh, Robbie Bobby Miller on that podcast famously <laughs> said that uh, The Last of Us was a six out of ten. Uh, part two, <laughs> so not not part one, part two, and uh, just felt like it was. And uh, it, it's funny, like it's interesting, like where people have nitpicks, but some of his nitpicks were were quite funny. Um, but we we razz him all the time. He also voted <laughs> uh, Sonic Two over Ocarina of Time. <laughs> for greatest video games ever so i digress that tells ah, you his taste <laughs> that's a bold claim it's a good good oh, calibration there okay <laughs> <laughs> love you bobby uh, if you're listening um yeah so will you've prepared a, a, a round of pitch storm i'm going to um mm-hmm. bow out of the competition because i think we should do um the battle of the um significant others here with may versus pat i like where your thoughts at chris and i'm gonna do you one better i'm gonna let you judge it and i'm gonna read the options how about that oh, switch oh up yeah. a little bit. we're gonna we're gonna make it two teams here or two judges sort of i think maybe. this is just chris wimping out <laughs> i think it's i have like, a pretty good record with uh, historically with pitch storm. no I, I just uh i think it'd just be fun um what i'm hoping for is that we can start a fight that'll continue after the podcast uh, <laughs> wraps up <laughs> no, i'm kidding um, will would you be able to recap the rules for pat who hasn't played before absolutely and i'd be happy to do that for our fellow listeners too if whether or not this is your first time listening to the podcast or you've heard us talk about this game before i don't think we've ever really gone into the particulars until we actually play the game besides give credit where credit is due which is that it is a game designed by ben kepner and he was kind enough to let us use it on this podcast uh essentially the rules are uh pat what i'm going to do is i'm going to give you the option that you can either choose a plot or a type of character. Um, And then to do that, I'll give you three options and you can choose one of those for either a plot or a character. If you choose a plot, then the character is whatever I pull. Or if you choose a character, then the plot's whatever I pull. Um, And you have a minute to use that information to create the most amazing film that you can think of. Um, In that time, probably about 30 seconds through, uh i guess for the sake of this i'll be the one who will pause it uh but i'll interrupt you uh not to be too rude about it but i'll interrupt you and tell you that you need to have to you'll have to throw in like one extra little piece of something something to make it that much better uh so then you'll have the additional time to try and figure out how you're gonna weave that into the storyline so sounds a little convoluted but i guarantee you once you just let your mind roll man it's gonna be great so i have every confidence in you with this so all right i'm excited I would also be willing to go first as an example, if that would be helpful. Yeah, all right. Yeah, take it away. Cool. All right, May. So tell me, would you prefer a character or a plot? You know, I always go character first. That's true. Okay. (laughs) So your options are, I think this is relevant in a tangential way as well. Um, A group of scientists on the brink of resurrecting dinosaurs. Or two kids lost in the woods. Or the first human colonists on Mars. I'm going to go with human colonists on Mars. All right. So your plot is... The first human colonists on Mars fight 
to save a rare and mysterious animal from poachers. Okay. Opening establishing shot, we see Earth rise from Mars. Camera pans back. We see a lovely little burgeoning colony on Mars. You see a little bit of terraforming. You see some oxygen pods. You see a very happy and please looking Matt Damon chatting up Angelina Jolie in fantastic <laughs> fashionable spacesuits. Suddenly, there's a horrendous scream, and you see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you right there. Uh, this might tie in well to what you were thinking, but hear me out. Can you make the love interest? a super creepy monster because those play really well in October. You hear a horrendous scream <laughs> and you see this sort of like stone tiger dragon creature just burst out of a crater and it comes hurtling at Angelina Jolie, bites her on the arm. Suddenly she's turning into this crazy dragon tiger creature. Uh, <laughs> they start fighting. Matt Damon is torn between uh, you know, protecting this endangered animal and getting it off of the turned Angelina Jolie. Uh, he has to go through this really deep spiritual journey thought. about it <laughs> and uh, ends up dying for his love. Oh, oh, all right. All right. I like it. I like it. But Chris will be the ultimate judge. So I'm just the messenger. All right. With that in mind, Pat. Are you ready? I am ready. And let's switch it up and I will do, uh, I will pick a plot. And, excellent, yeah. excellent. All right. So your options include for plot, either discover a map leading to a legendary treasure hoard, or, oh, I, did I hear Ellie like that <laughs> hey, one? Ellie. She likes treasure hoards, I can tell. Um, Audience or, pick. Yeah. <laughs> steals a magical treasure man there's another treasure Woo, that's good steals a magical treasure from a dangerous witch so you have a legendary treasure hoard if you think these two are too close together i will give you another one but magical treasure from a dangerous witch a map leading to a legendary treasure hoard or getting in big trouble with the mafia hmm i'm gonna go with uh getting in big trouble with the mafia all right. So, your character shall be a blind woman living by herself gets in big trouble with the mafia. Okay. So, this blind woman, um, <laughs> we have, um, so in my head, this is going to be uh, like a, a seedy, uh, like Pulp Fiction time jump type of movie. Um, so this blind woman was actually one of the first generation of colonists on Mars. Um, and we didn't foresee that increased cosmic radiation would actually damage your retinas. So she's congenitally blind. Um, somehow, uh, through being misled, she's in debt with the mafia. They're running this big um, like ivory trade on, on, on Mars. And there's a lot of poachers trying to fight, trying to find endangered animals. I'm gonna um, but, stop but you right there, Pat. Okay. What if we tell this story? I like what you got, but what if we tell the story backwards? Because you know we want to win this at Sundance. Okay, so backwards. Okay. Um, I hadn't actually thought about how the movie would end. Um, 
let's see here. So she's um, walking away from an explosion, uh, a, a pile of ivory tusks uh, mm -hmm. that were booby trapped to take out all the mob bosses. Uh, she's in a spacesuit. Um, <laughs> there's uh, some 90s rock song playing as she um, rides off into the sun. Well, I guess we're playing backwards. So uh, hmm, how much time do I have? You've got a thought to finish. A thought to finish. Um, that would be the last scene. I don't know how we would arrive there, but um, it, it, it'd be a very corny, um, almost like self-aware ending to uh, to a movie about settling debts with or getting revenge on, on the mob. I'm getting some Armageddon meets Memento vibes. I like it. I like yeah. it. All right. I'm, I'm getting some Nolan. <laughs> don't know how we arrived there, but that will be the final shot. <laughs> Right. Okay. If you're confused, you didn't just you just didn't get it. If you're if you're confused Excellent. by the timeline. It's super decadent too, just blowing up Ivory Tusk. <laughs> it's about sending a message. <laughs> it's not about money. Is I this, like it. I is like this it. a uh un, un unpermitted spin-off of my original series, Pat? Oh, deliberately. It's 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 it's, it's, it's I, we'll see you in court. It's IP theft for sure. Yeah. yeah. Hey, one could be like a limited television run. The other one, you know, like straight to streaming. The other one can be a full feature film. It's this right. is just Trolls 2 on Mars. Nice. <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's the Martian, like organized crime cinematic universe. Nice. Yeah. Uh, is, is there motto that you can't piss on hospitality? Because I feel like that's <laughs> got to come up at some point. I'll work it in. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you have to piss in your awesome. spacesuit. Yeah. Ooh, it's all it's all reclaimed in the thigh yeah. pouch. Yeah. If Dune yeah. told me anything. <laughs> the still suits, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome, you guys. All right, Chris, you are the judge. Tell us what the verdict is. So I'm going to talk through this here. So uh, starting with May, I like that May um, took the curveball and then made the curveball curveball because when you're like, oh, the love interest has to be a monster. I thought like, oh, the monster that shows up is going to be who Angelina falls in love with. Nah, man, Angelina <laughs> turns into the monster. And now we got a little Beauty and the Beast thing going on. I think that's beautiful. It's great. Tragic death at the end as well just to really like seal it, uh, you know, uh, in really, really. Our cool. goal is to make audiences cry. <laughs> Uh, now my boy Pat over here, like he, he went hard mode. He was like, I'm going to take May's plot and <laughs> the plot, uh, that I was given <laughs> and tie those together. I thought that was really, really cool. Um, also I think he's got like a weird psychic thing going on because he predicted the time jump thing, like right before what was like, you got to do it backwards. So, um, clearly he's vibing, uh, with some, uh, psychic energy there. Um, of course, any movie that ends in an explosion, um, pretty hard to to <laughs> argue with mm, 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 mm. both movies i would absolutely watch i'm gonna give may the uh, out on this one with the curveball on the curveball by a slight hair by Ooh. a fraction of a point i'm gonna give it to may i like Thank the you. uh the plot twist of like the love interest is not the monster that shows up but the monster that angelina becomes <laughs> that was great so well played well nice. played both of you nice. that was hard to pick yeah. genuinely hard to pick good games good games all yep. around Definitely. i'll see you in court for that yeah, <laughs> 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 
Yeah, oh. it's gonna be real like um dating myself now, but like Armageddon versus Deep Impact or Dante's Peak versus uh <laughs> Volcano. Remember, like, yes, those, like, the studios would just try to you know race to see who could get the first disaster movie out, and it was the same exact thing. Of the course, summer of uh, yeah, Happy Feet, March of the Penguins, and uh, Surf's <laughs> Up. Yeah, exactly. Nice. <laughs> it was a weird That's time. Awesome. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> all right well um let's find out what we are watching next now of course if we draw will pick this will be her, his third and final in a row and uh on the fly here i might institute a new rule unless may has objections because will and i will have both potentially gone three in a row i might say that like may has to go because poor may has not had a nominee in a while um that's just the way pure chance works but how do we feel about mandatory? that mandatory mandatory yeah <laughs> <laughs> we feel good with that i'm okay either way it's about yes. time i did some homework <laughs> hopefully hopefully it's not an issue but here we go our pick is another new category trope soup and the film is a will pick, <laughs> and it is the quick and the dead noise movie I saw about a year ago, and I'm e- eager to rewatch now that I have it under my belt. For those of you who don't know, it is a Sam Raimi directed western, starring Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, and a very young Leonardo DiCaprio. It's about a gunfighting tournament to the death with a ultimate grand prize so there's your your little tease and <laughs> sam raimi is the same uh director who made evil dead and dragged me to hell on a lot of other genre movies like spider-man spider-man 2 and 3 actually i think of the toby mcguire era but <laughs> will uh tell us why you nominated this for trope soup which uh f- to remind the viewers is a trope-filled film uh, that is not necessarily bad. Basically, that's that's how we've described the category. Tropes aren't don't have to be bad. So, talk about a film that's filled with tropes that you love. I feel like Sam Raimi is one of those directors where he like he can take sort of the the aspects of certain genres and just have fun with them. Like you were talking about Evil Dead or. If we uh, we watched, um, oh, geez, now I feel bad because this was another pick that I had of his earlier uh, with Kate Blanchett, uh, The Gift, which was like the Southern Gothic horror uh, genre. And I just think that he takes these ideas and he just plays around and has a good time. And you can tell that it's very sort of cartoonish um, in the style that it's filmed in, but that's okay like if if you know going into it that's what it's going to be then i think it's it's a lot of fun i think if you go into it and you don't know what it's going to be yeah kind of it might be hit or miss no pun intended but um that was was marianne marianne did not know what she signed up for and did not like this film very much at all and then it was sort of post viewing i was like oh so this is who this guy is another stuff and she's like oh okay like maybe had i like known going into it she thought it was going to be like um something akin to like unforgiven or like more mm. serious kind of like western i love yeah. it it was like fuck, it's fucking <laughs> mortal combat like with like gunfighters come on it's great it's true yeah so a lot of the the like the very stereotypical western sort of themes or 
you know, plot devices. And even like at the very end, like I almost got a little bit of vertigo with the way the camera wants to like just tilt in all these like zoom out motions. So yeah, it's it's very, it's very over the top, but I think it's got a great cast and I think it's a lot of fun to go with. So that's why I chose it. It sounds fun. I've never heard yeah. of it before, but I'm game. Nice. Also a younger Russell Crowe shows up, but man, yeah, DiCaprio, when you see him, he's like a baby, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I had some concerns with uh, some interactions that he had with <laughs> oh, like, one of the co-stars. Where I, was, I was like, he, oh, he's had one he... age that he's gone for his entire life, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. He is consistent. He's consistent, if nothing else. <laughs> Uh, I heard someone, uh, this is only a tangentially related point, but I heard someone joke that it's not that he like gets tired of women when they hit 25. It's just that's when the prefrontal cortex finishes finishes developing of the women. And they're like, why am I with Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio? <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah, that's awesome. Excellent. Well, guys, thanks again for being willing to uh, to join me on this in this adventure of Contagion. Pat, thank you so much for your feedback. It's been a pleasure having you, man. And your uh, your insight into this was, like I was saying before, it's very succinct and very educational, and I think added a lot to our discussion. So, thank you for being willing to join us on that, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a fun topic to talk about. I mean it 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 gets really depressing really quickly, but uh, hopefully we didn't shake off too many fans. But um... Yeah, wash your hands and uh, let's uh, have me back on if you ever want to have your uh, your your medical correspondent weigh in on on movies. Um, <laughs> I love talking about Gattaca for that reason. Um, Ooh, yeah. all right, duly. Just, I'm gonna make a note of that. I'll uh, I'll have May keep me posted if there's anything that would be uh, worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome back anytime. Awesome, awesome. This is fun. That about wraps it up. I do want to note uh one last order of business which is happy birthday to the podcast by the time this Aww. is released we will be celebrating one year of content so happy birthday to screen quest it's Woo. been an honor and a privilege to do this with you all uh almost weekly you know um we have our little breaks and hiatuses here and there but um it's something i really do genuinely look forward to and i feel like it's made my life uh more enriched so thank both of you for you know going on this journey and and showing up each week and and giving it your all it's been awesome oh there's no way it's been a year wow the feeling we're recording this on the 28th and two days it will be the (laughs) one year anniversary of our first episode which was contact yep oh and that brings us to the end of the show thank you all for watching and listening as promised, I have uh, posted the submission form under our episode descriptions, both on the podcast feed for our audio listeners and then on YouTube. If you have your own film suggestions, please fill out that form. You can uh, choose the option to be a host if you want to be a host. Otherwise, you can simply put a quick comment on why you selected the film and we will eventually work in some of those suggestions to our pile so that we have some user submitted suggestions um, as a possible draw when we select our film each week. But until next time, we love you. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.